This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. I think we are set to begin again. Again, uh, for anyone who may be uh, coming in for the first time, my name is uh, Michael Yonker, and I'm a PhD student in theology at Andrews University. And this is my very first GYC. I'm sure some of you are GYC veterans, uh, but uh, I am not. Uh, and so it is my uh, pleasure uh, and privilege to be able to join you for the first time. Uh, being from uh, Michigan, I have to note uh, that uh, I had to shovel off a foot of snow uh, early in the morning to uh, uh, clear the driveway to be able to uh, get on the plane to come here. I know a few of you no doubt come from the northern climates as well uh, and can understand that, but uh, I like your, your choice or whoever chose it of uh, Orlando this, this year uh, to kind of get a, a little bit of a, a break, a warmer climate uh, for those of us that uh, uh, are more than accustomed to uh, the cold weather and the snow. Uh, I really enjoy uh, being uh, in a nicer, warmer climate. So, um, I had closed last time uh, just with uh, the beginning of Job's uh, three opening uh, responses uh, to uh, the situation that had befallen him and how he is uh, struggling to uh, put it all together in his mind. Why was I born? Why didn't I die at birth? Uh, and why can't I die now? Uh, and I had uh, noted that although I think Job comes very close uh, to cursing God right from the beginning. He never does, uh, and he actually maintains a fairly consistent position uh, throughout uh, his, his uh, uh, responses to his friends, uh, you know, again, wavering in some cases and uh, definitely misunderstanding some things. Job does not understand the big picture. It's very important to recognize that Job is ignorant uh, of the big picture um, as, as we proceed. Um, and again, I don't think that he is actually wanting to die, as I noted, just uh, he is uh, saying he's, he's ready to die, uh, if that were the case. Now, I want to pause again and just um, remark uh, on the question of theodicy again. Uh, what is theodicy? Um, I mentioned it at the beginning of the last lecture, but I really want to uh, get it sharp and clear in our minds uh, so that we know what we're actually asking when we try and uh, understand or create uh, or formulate a theodicy. What is a theodicy? Someone again, although I mentioned it last time, but someone give me the answer. What is a theodicy? What is a theodicy? Mm -hmm. It is an understanding of the justice of God in light of particularly our suffering, in light of the suffering of uh, the world and those around us. Um, what kinds of responses, I'm just taking a little bit of a diversion here uh, beyond uh, what I have in the slides, but I think it's important, and I, I didn't put it in, but I think it's, it's important. Do you know what kinds of responses have been given that are out there and that are very popular right now? What kinds of popular theodicies are floating around out there uh, to answer these questions? Any of you know? I'm, I'm opening it up for... Just too bad? Okay, can you name a major position that might think that way? Calvinists. Calvinists. Uh, have you heard of uh, double predestination? Have you ever heard of this uh, by the Calvinists? 
Uh, if you go back and, and look up the notes uh, you know, on what Calvin wrote, you will find uh, that he does embrace this, that uh, it was God's pleasure, uh, he says, that uh, Adam should fall uh, so that God might be glorified. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's scary stuff. Uh, when you read it, uh, you know, for the first time, and you know, wow, what was going through, John Calvin said, because, of course, uh, many things that uh, Calvin wrote, uh, I would agree with, uh, you know, and I'm speaking here very broadly, very loosely. Uh, he wrote many good things, uh, some solid, you know, commentaries on, on various passages of the Bible. He was a, a good reformer. He was fighting against some other, other bigger problems. Uh, but uh, then he has some zingers like this, you know, it's like, wow, you know, how can you even think that way? How can you live your life knowing that everything that happens is just God's good pleasure? You know, that, uh, that, that Adam's fall was just, you're just perfect, you know, perfectly part of God's plan. Uh, you know, that's, that's a struggle to me. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, kind of one view, uh, you know, uh, Hard Calvinism, as it's called. You know, some other responses out there that are popular, uh, especially in Christianity, but if you, if you are thinking of others, you can share them as well. Uh, what are the, some other popular theodicy or the answers to the theodical question? Say again? Atheistic? Okay. Not, you don't mean deism, do you? Okay, yeah. Deism, uh, if you haven't heard uh, the deistic view of the world, is that basically uh, there is a God. Uh, they don't have a problem acknowledging uh, a divine power. Uh, but uh, God basically, you know, like uh, lit a match, you know, and, uh, you know, put it onto reality and it just burns in whatever way it wants, you know, and God doesn't really, isn't really involved at all. Uh, this is a, a kind of a popular view, um, and in some form or another, I think, uh, it has infiltrated certain kinds of Christian thinking, um, you know, in, in various ways. Uh, I wouldn't call it a dominant Christian view because it basically is rejecting Christianity, that's the whole point. But I think that its, it's uh, seeds have infected some Christians, uh, that a little bit of too much live and let live, you know, just, you know, a little bit too much free play. Uh, so that's kind of a deistic view, a deistic view, uh, that God just kind of lit the match to reality and it just the fire and the wind and the smoke blows any way that it wants. Uh, what is another popular view, especially in Christianity right now? Uh, can you think of another one that is an answer to the theodical question? Have you heard of authors like uh, Gregory Boyd? No? Okay, not, not quite in the, the uh, theologians' reading circles. Uh, um, he's, he's a uh, fairly popular evangelical theologian. You know what the word evangelical means? Uh, basically, that means a higher view of Scripture, uh, that very loosely translated. It just means a higher view of Scripture because there are very low view of Scripture Christians. Uh, but uh, Greg Boyd, you know, does take the Bible seriously, uh, and he tries to make sense of it. Uh, and he advocates something called the open view, the open view of God. Have any of you heard of this? I, I'm kind of curious what you folks may have heard of. Have you heard of the open view of God? I know that surely some of you have. Uh, anyone for the open view of God? Any hands? <laughs> no? Not here? 
Okay, then I'll share what it is, because it is very popular in, in scholarly theologian circles. The open view of God, as Gregory Boyd uh, has shared, and he actually has written uh, several books on what he calls warfare theodicy. Uh, and it presents a picture that is, in, in some ways, in fact, a dissertation was written at Andrews University comparing Gregory Boyd's view and Ellen White's view. Um, and uh, basically, the open view of God uh, is a very attractive option even though I believe that it's incorrect. I do not believe that it is true. I think it's very hard in essence is false. But it basically implies that God is doing everything that he can, that God is limited in some ways, that God, uh, a key point uh, of contention in it, a very sore point uh, of contention, is that God does not know the future. God does not know the future in the open view of God, uh, so that, that's why it's open, so the future is open to him. Uh, he does not have divine foreknowledge, which scripture seems to imply, um, and yet, uh, you know, that in fact, that's something that isn't really very present in Job, but I, I'm really into these issues, and so, uh, and since they're infecting a lot of pastors and other folks that you might be listening to or your friends might be listening to, the people you're trying to reach might be listening to, um, I, I will go ahead and share a little bit about them. But uh, the open view of God is that God does not really know the future, so he, he is actively involved in the present, uh, and he tries to uh, you know, work with uh, uh, us and the world as he can, but he's, he's limited. God is basically limited. Uh, and whenever you see in Scripture, and this is again one of the key points of contention, Whenever you see in Scripture uh, what would be called prophecies, uh, you know, and uh, you're probably uh, well aware that uh, Seventh-day Adventism has a very heavy emphasis on prophecy, okay? So that uh, for the open view of God, uh, they want to reinterpret all prophecies to be conditional, all prophecies, because we know, and that is, again, a, something that Adventists recognize, that not all prophecies that were given in Scripture, when they were given, were unconditional, Sometimes God did let people know that, you know, if you do this, then this will happen. So God does use conditional prophecies. There's no doubt about that. So the open theists are right to identify the existence of conditional prophecies, that God relates to reality and to humans in a conditional way. If this happens, then this will happen. There is, uh, the Old Testament is replete with these examples. It's full of them. So there's no doubt about it that, that God does work in an openish sort of way. But, but one of the key things, uh, yes, and if you have a question, anytime, please do pause me. Yes, well, they, tie, they would tie his power into his omniscience in a certain way because uh, God uh, does not and cannot violate uh, uh, human uh, freedom, of course. Um, they would accept that. So his power is in some ways limited, uh, but, uh, but, you know, it is... It, but by that, by that case, by choice, right? He could have chosen not to freely create humans. Uh, so because he's a loving God, his nature has limited him and, and uh, you know, so forth. It gets complicated and there are some, you know, problems and complexities in it. But, but yes, the omniscience is, a, is the big part of it. Uh, but it does affect his power too. Yes, it does. Um, uh, so, so both, a little bit of both. But, um, but yes, uh, regarding prophecy, um, uh, the idea is that uh, there cannot be any unconditional long future prophecies. Uh, that God cannot know specifically what will happen, and that if he did, uh, that would violate uh, his loving nature and uh, leave us in something of a quandary uh, in how you could create a, a good theodicy. So for him, or for the open theists, and there are a number of them out in the evangelical Christian world, uh, their defense is that God's doing the best that he can. 
and that uh, they, uh, it's related to other kinds of uh, views. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of things like soul-building theodicy, uh, that uh, the whole universe, uh, again, God uh, didn't really light it with a match, uh, as uh, I mentioned to the deistic view earlier, but God basically uh, started constructing things, uh, and then uh, he's intimately involved with it, but it, it has its own life. Uh, and so uh, uh, an important part of uh, open theism or soul-building theodicy, which is related to open theism and open future, they share that in common, is that uh, reality always had the seeds or kind of always had corruption built into it. Uh, if you've heard of theistic evolution, uh, where uh, basically God has evolved uh, humans through the, you know, uh, micro, you know, uh, organisms and through the apes and monkeys and so forth. Um, it's the same sort of idea that uh, God is doing the best that he can. He started with small life, uh, kind of, you know, this is, and, and then he, he builds on it. And then finally we get humans, uh, you know, and, and he's doing the best that he can. So this is kind of the open view and the soul building view kind of merged together. They share common denominators in that uh, God does not know the future. That's a key component uh, for it. Um, so these are very popular ideas out there. I don't know whether or not you've encountered them or uh, have heard uh, folks play with them. I will say, if you did not know, uh, there are some Seventh-day Adventist church you know, members that are advocating these views. Uh, they have infiltrated Seventh-day Adventism. Um, I'm not going to really run down a list of names, but a, a prominent one uh, is Dr. Richard Rice, who teaches at one of our schools at Loma Linda, uh, teaches religion, and he is well known to be an advocate of open theism. Of course, there has uh, been you know, discussions about this uh, over the past, but, uh, but you know, it's out there, it's around. Uh, you will encounter it. You will encounter friends who have encountered it if you really are running the circles and meeting uh, people from a variety of backgrounds and locations and places. So um, these ideas are out there. Now, um, I'll tell you straight up, I do believe in divine foreknowledge, which puts me in the uh, more defensive position. I do believe in divine foreknowledge, and I believe in an open future as well. You might say something of a paradox. Um, uh, how I arrive at that difficult uh, together position uh, is a, a very long story, um, and it would involve a fairly technical critique of how philosophy understands the subject of logic. Um, uh, I'll boil it down for you very quickly. Uh, and sh share that uh, philosophy and science are in an equally difficult conundrum as is uh, theology and philosophy when it comes to the issue of freedom, period. Um, I, I actually will be sharing in later lectures a little bit more about this, uh, but I wanted to just share it now as well. But um, how are you free? Have you ever thought about how you're free? When we think about the most difficult questions in life, uh, on how God can be just and, and so forth with us. Uh, first of all, what, what is presupposed in that entire equation? <laughs> you know, there's always some presuppositions. So sometimes we struggle to think about the, our presuppositions. That means the ideas that we've inherited before we even begin to think. You know, these kinds of things. These are presuppositions. Uh, but one of them is that humans are meaningfully free, right? Meaningfully free. We have freedom. We make choices. We can do things. Um, now, there is a problem with that idea in science departments today on a widespread scale. If you haven't heard of it or haven't encountered it, um, you know, uh, I, you can read further and find it. I don't know what, what you're studying, some areas, some subjects, some teachers may not have uh, uh, let you encounter that yet, but there are a, a number of prominent uh, professional uh, academic biologists and philosophers and neuroscientists uh, that say today that humans are not free. 
that we are not free, that reality is deterministic, basically Calvinistic, except that they're not theists either. So they're just atheist determinists. So they're atheist Calvinists, so to speak, that everything is, re, uh, is determined. And uh, these are very difficult questions because um, when you think about uh, reality and you think about nature, um, and I hope that uh, you can you know, stretch your minds a little bit to see some of the tensions uh, that might be lying here. Is reality law ordered? Uh, do the walls and the ceiling, uh, you know, are they held up by uh, the consistency of, of uh, created matter as God has uh, you know, created it? We would shake our heads, yes, right? You know, reality is held together by rules and laws and that this represents God's order in reality. It represents God's order. Uh, now, the problem with that is that if all of reality is well-ordered, uh, and that includes the, not just the inanimate physics, the cold stuff, the chemistry, the cold physics, the cold physics and, and chemistry, but also includes uh, what we would call the biological level, uh, the, the living uh, level. You know, and you can get, first you start with the plants and the trees and the flowers and, and the bees, but then you move into uh, higher levels of biology. You move, in, uh, move into uh, you know, primates and, and uh, you know, elephants and dolphins, and they exhibit uh, definitely signs of what we would call intelligence and creativity and, and freedom, and it gets progressively higher until of course, uh, with a human being, it seems to, uh, you know, pass, pass some barrier and uh, becomes, you know, really distinctly uh, free and distinctly creative and distinctly open. And uh, the question is, is that uh, at all of these levels, including in the biological level, uh, biology is still, um, at least in the eyes of uh, folks like Sam Harris, uh, still deterministic. Even the biological laws, our human bodies, as you know, the biological you know entities as bodies, uh, they still obey rules. Uh, that uh, reality is still ordered. It's just a different kind of order than the cold physics. But if that's the case, you can see how neuroscientists and neurologists that study the human brain will eventually, as they keep penetrating and discovering new rules and new laws uh, to, that govern the human being, uh, they're going to be asking the question, am I or is the human being actually free? And uh, to give you a little insight into um, the current crisis, uh, if you are into issues like psychiatry uh, right now, uh, you know, they release their DSM, kind of their, uh, their Bible of uh, uh, mental disorders. Uh, and the latest edition, version 5, which just came out a couple of years ago, uh, has been a catastrophe <laughs> because they keep trying to add new and newer uh, and, and more and more detailed disorders of the human mind and the human uh, condition. And uh, the more that they do that, uh, the, the more controversial uh, things become. And not just over whether or not uh, uh, being homosexual or being gay is uh, biologically uh, you know, inherited or is a choice, not only over issues like that, of which their you know, favorite is, is uh, well, I won't go into that. Other, other lectures are doing that. But um, basically, everything uh, becomes a question. Uh, you know, how can we determine what is uh, an actual uh, determinate part of the human being and how can we determine what's part of them is free? There is this grand assumption in psychiatry uh, that human beings, uh, when they have a problem, they're not free. And when they are, you know, healthy, they're, they're free. And, and, you know, how can that be? You know, so at what line or at what uh, border do we pass through the, the uh, determinate part of biology into the free part of the human mind? And, and back and forth and so forth. So I'm, I'm basically just sharing this with you uh, to let you know that uh, science and human free will is itself uh, right now in the academic world at an, at an absolute uh, uh, collision, collision course. And so um, I don't think there are easy answers yet to come, but I think that there are some good um, analogies and parallels between this kind of conceptual thinking, which I'm gonna to return to a little bit later, 
uh, in my talk when I get to where is wisdom. Uh, but uh, there's some parallels between this and how we might understand the relationship between uh, freedom and time and God's omniscience. Uh, so I hope I haven't gone past or over too many people's heads, but uh, just letting you know that the academic world, things are not settled. <laughs> when, when you ever you hear or read a report that says, scientists say, well, <laughs> yeah, they do, but you may find many others that say something else, especially on these kinds of issues. So uh, do not be so arrogant and do not be so gullible as to believe everything scientists say. <laughs> yes, I do see a hand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's good questions, good questions. Um, I, I won't give uh, long or detailed answers to that, but, uh, 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 you know, what is a predisposition? You know, are predispositions um, inherited? Are they, you know, are they uh, based on circumstances, context? Right. Right. Where do our personalities come from and so forth? All these kinds of questions are great questions for those of you studying uh, into psychology and so forth. Seventh-day Adventism desperately needs dedicated people that are studying these uh, what I call border disciplines, these uh, inter-multidisciplinary questions. Uh, because uh, I'll, I'll just be frank with you that uh, too many Christians, when they study these things, end up uh, losing, losing their way. Uh, they become uncomfortable with a little bit of tension, a little uncomfortable with a little bit of mystery on these things that we presuppose is meaningful before we even ask the bigger questions. As I said, if you're wondering about God and justice uh, in, in uh, Job's life, you're, already, you're presupposing that Job does have freedom. You're presupposing that, right? You've already have presupposed significant uh, things. Well, that presupposition, you know, again, just kind of poking you as a, as a philosopher or a scientist might, you can't presuppose that so easily. You need to ask other tough questions too. And uh, again, if you side with freedom, meaningful freedom, uh, and you relate that to bigger pictures, I think you'll, you'll see reality is, is quite complicated. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't uh, learn some things and know some things. I just felt that it's important uh, to let you know uh, how divided uh, the current academic world is on, on so many issues. Um, so, back, back to Job a little bit, and uh, I hope you do have your Bibles because some of the texts are not uh, going to be on the screen, but I will make some references to some uh, in your Bibles. But Job likely thought he was exercising faith, as many of us would, uh, when he obeyed God and did what was right when it was clearly in his best interest to do so. Uh, we find, I think, that many people uh, operate today just like that. Uh, in fact, I might say many of you know, those here present at the, this conference might think that they were exercising great faith uh, when they believe that God really exists and is really there. You know, that's, that's an exercise of faith, you know, and aren't you proud of that exercise of faith? I believe in God. I really do. And so, you know, that is a, a leap of faith at, at some level because obviously uh, most of us have not had uh, a theophany. That is a technical term for like uh, the burning bush. I don't think most of us have had a burning bush in our lives. If you have, I do want to know about it. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> most of us have not. Um, and if you have, then we'll have to talk uh, a lot, too, uh, about what that meant. But um, so most of us have not had theophanies or burning bush experiences like Moses um, or other divine appearances. And so we're exercising great faith just to make that first step as bold, young Seventh-day Adventist Christians to believe in God. That's faith. Uh, and they think that, uh, and we think that we are living our lives appropriately uh, on a regular day, day in, day out basis with uh, this recognition that God is watching and present in, in our lives. 
uh, are the theme of this conference before men and angels. We, many of us have already accepted that. I don't know if everyone has, and so I have to operate under the, uh, under the uh, presupposition that maybe not all of you have, but I know that uh, many of you have, and uh, that is a good thing. That is a, a, a positive step that we are indeed before men and angels, and God is watching us. And, uh, you know, uh, doing the right thing is important. Uh, and most of us, again, um, and I just have to share this, uh, you know, uh, to get into the frame of mind of, of Job and his friends, but um, how many of you have done the right thing at some point in your life, not because you really knew it was the right thing to do, but because, boy, would, would it be awkward if you didn't, you know? How often have you had that, you know, I mean, I could give a variety of examples. Uh, I'm just saying, but, but think of uh, the, the young kid uh, in the... Uh, Oh, oh, let's uh, give a classic example in the gas station, and he really wants that bubble gum, you know, or whatever, candy on the you know, candy bar, and uh, he doesn't take it, even though he really would if he could, uh, because he knows that he'll get caught because the, the store clerk is just, you know, right there, you know, and so you don't steal, you don't do the wrong thing because you know you'll get caught. You know, how often have we uh, lived our lives that way, you know, so we, we do the right thing, uh, but, uh, you know, not necessarily... Uh, because it's the right thing. Now, um, uh, you know, there's trouble, there's circumstances, uh, and in other, there are other less, uh, or less overt situations where it's not really something wrong like stealing. It's just, we just kind of flow along. Uh, it's part of the career, peer uh, pressure. You know, the crowd is doing the right thing, and I really have no objection, so I'll just do the right thing too. You know, I mean, I think that we can truly be quote, quote unquote neutral, undecided, and just kind of float along. All my friends are, uh, you know, going to Bible studies for baptism, so hey, why not? You know, I'll go too, and uh, maybe I'll even get baptized that way, you know, uh, because I went through the lessons. I, I agree. I just, uh, you know, I really haven't, you know, wrestled with some of the issues very deeply. So um, I think that there is a, a truly a, a, a neutral or quasi-positive, half-positive uh, way to live our lives and to think that we're living our lives by faith, that this is a faith life. And I'm not disagreeing. I'm simply saying, you know, uh, let's think more. Let's think about it more deeply. So we can call this the Christian life. And this is exercising faith. It is a form of exercising faith. And it, we must agree about this. Uh, believing uh, in the invisible presence of God uh, is faith. But it might not be a full and complete faith. It is a, a weak faith. Those who live according to that are serving God only uh, when it is in their best interest to do so. And it is in our best interest to serve God, either through peer pressure or through a genuine, um, uh, or I should say, through the fear of God. You know, like, for example, uh, many of us um, really are not tempted to uh, do uh, drugs or something, uh, you know, hard drugs like cocaine or whatever, uh, because, um, you know, I know what will happen if I go down that path. You know, I, I am I'm beyond that temptation because I know exactly what the consequences will be if I do that. I know exactly what they'll be. So I don't really, you know, hardly need the fear of God. I just need the fear of the consequence uh, of this action to keep me from doing it. Uh, God and morality are not really part of the equation anymore. It's not, I don't, I don't do drugs because it's a sin. I don't do them myself because I know what it would do to me. Uh, and I have no desire to do that, so that isn't even really a temptation to me. Therefore, that sin is not really, you know, interesting to me. Um, of course, for other people uh, and other circumstances that we might meet, uh, it may be. Um, but, uh, but for many of us, it's not. So you've got you to gotta understand Job's life has uh, probably been along the lines of uh, smooth sailing, uh, as, uh, as has been noted. However, uh, times come in our lives when <laughs> we, we are going to plea for a little bit more understanding because things have not gone quite the way that we thought that they should. Uh, things have 
gone badly. And uh, I did enjoy collecting all the various kinds of pictures of Job and his friends I could find. Of course, uh, they are artists' interpretations. At this point, we're going to go in a little bit, and I know a couple of you came up and talked to me, and, and again, the, the narratives are so long, um, and I really am going to be doing more of a, a summary work on them, uh, but they are very important um, for his uh, three primary friends, and I know Elihu, as a couple have mentioned, uh, offers some, some things. Um, I'm not completely convinced that uh, he offers any particular solution. I know some uh, try and see that he does, but... Uh, I, uh, I, you know, I recognize his appreciation for the power of God, uh, but um, we, uh, I won't go too much in, into his, his contribution, although I welcome your comments um, uh, at the end. Um, now, there are free fr uh, three friends, primary friends, who constitute the, the dialogues, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And uh, it's important to note, and I wish I could go through and provide more and more frequent uh, evidence, but again, that would re require a lot of reading, um, that uh, they all come to basically the same conclusion. Uh, as I'd mentioned last time, uh, you know, the dangers of common sense theology. Uh, I, I want to, again, uh, explain that, uh, because common sense is important. I do believe in common sense, of course. Anyone that uh, denies common sense is obviously going to be a little bit imbalanced and, and crazy. It has a very common sense under, or meaning and application that uh, is very true. Common sense is, is good solid stuff most of the time. Um, however, it is exactly common sense that can also lead us into the kinds of quandaries and predicaments and disaster, intellectual disasters of understanding nature as determined, uh, as determined law and effect, law, you know, um, law ordered and cause and effect. Uh, and to apply that to the human uh, biological brain and wonder where the freedom is. That's common sense leads us into that paradox. Common sense leads us into a problem. You, you, are you following me here? Common sense will lead you, when you start to study reality and think about reality deeply, it will lead you into problems. All right? So common sense is great. Live your life uh, most of the time with good common sense. Uh, your common sense is checking uh, both ways on the street when you come, you know, to see that there are no cars. That's common sense. Follow it, my friends. Follow all of this kind of common sense. It's good, solid stuff that will definitely help your life flow along a little bit easier. Uh, but don't think that when you begin to get philosophical, and this is a point of contention in philosophy, uh, but don't think that when you get philosophical that common sense is going to somehow guide you on smooth paths right through all of these troubling issues. Maybe there is a different way of thinking uh, that is necessary before we can even begin to answer some of the questions that we have uh, that are deeper questions. And God may provide not necessarily the answers that we want for specific situations, but I do think that God provides ample evidence that uh, there is a deeper reality ample evidence that there is a deeper uh, reality. All right, um, so uh, the friends come with the same solution uh, that you are probably already anticipating, but they approach it in three distinct ways according to their personalities. This is, again, more summary because I cannot uh, go through it all. I liked uh, a commentator who um, uh, labeled the, the friends as, as follows, Eliphaz the elegant, uh, and if you're reading through Job, uh, you can detect this, Bildad the brutal, He's definitely more in your face, and so far, uh, the zealous who really uh, tries to appeal to uh, the emotions and the, the, the passions uh, of, of Job. Uh, here they are, uh, one of them taking his turn, <laughs> lecturing poor Job. Can you just imagine this scenario? 
uh, in your life when um, uh, you know you're struggling to understand uh, circumstances that have, have uh, come come upon you, and um, you know it seems like they just line up to take their turn. Uh, you know, they line up to take their turn. It is uh, very very difficult. Eliphaz is the first speaker, um, and there is a smoothness, kind of even a courtesy uh, about him that indicates that he has very carefully studied the art of saying unpleasant things in pleasant ways, uh, gracious ways. Uh, you know, and and uh, again, Bildad later uh, is, is more brutal and plain spoken, and I think that we all will have uh, friends that you know, meet these categories. So Job, this is why the temptation here on Job is greater than ever before, because uh, the arts and subtleties of multiple personalities are trying to assault, multiple techniques are trying to assault Job and uh, tell him something that is not true. That is the, the lesson of Job. Um, multiple techniques are trying to convince Job that uh, uh, he is um, not correct about his view. Um, and so far is the more uh, emotional, compassionate one. And they're all trying to you know, work, on, work on Job. Um, and I would, uh, again, point you towards Job 4. Um, I will not read them all. Um, I do hope that you do take some time to read them, but uh, that really does slow down a study like this. Um, you kind of need to break into small groups and really pour over these texts because they're, they're the English, or I should say the Hebrew, which causes the English uh, to be very, very uh, you know, challenging. This is, uh, I think, uh, an evidence for ancient thinking, ancient mind. Uh, there are several, several unique words in Hebrew here that only appear in Job, nowhere else in the Old Testament. And the translators still struggle to pin down some of these words and what exactly they mean. Uh, some of the nuances on some of the nouns and verbs, uh, you know, where we still struggle to understand exactly what they mean. But um, a very challenging language, very, very poetic. Uh, and the, again, the poetry of an ancient time and a mind that we are not fully uh, acquainted with, uh, although we can uh, determine that it was masterfully written. That is universally agreed, that whoever wrote this, again, I do believe Moses, um, uh, was truly uh, inspired, uh, and there was a master, master, uh, grand author working even behind uh, Moses' brilliant mind uh, himself. But here's the summary uh, of Eliphaz and also the others, as we'll see. Job, this is how it begins, and this is important. Uh, you know, Job, you've been a counselor to many people. You've been able to, you know, kind of pinpoint their difficulties, their circumstances, Accurately, you have had great insight in understanding the lives of others. You've helped them. You found what was troubling them and uh, guided them around to face up to their circumstances. Now follow your own advice, Job. Just follow your own advice. It's, it's very clear uh, that your circumstances are special. And, and that's really a key thing about Job that we often, when we're thinking that we're Job, we're the protagonist in life, the world revolves around us, we must be Job. Um, I, I hope you have not had circumstances that are this particular. You may have had very, you may be living with or know others around you in a close relationship that are living with very painful and difficult circumstances. Um, you know, my, my grandmother would apply, you know, I mean, uh, just why the unusual struggle, suffering, you know, after, you know, joining the church, being, doing all the right things for the last 15 years of her life, why, why you know, why this particularly painful way to, to suffer? Um, you know, why? You know, we, we can't know. Um, but um, um, 
My point is, is that no matter how painful and how difficult they are, uh, very seldom can we make a claim to Job's kind of specific punishment. I mean, he was really singled out. You know, having it all happen just like that. And I mean, again, go back and think through Job's. Uh, have you had four servants come to you one after the other? I'm the only one that made it to tell you that your life is crumbling. I'm the only one, you know, that each compartment of your life is crumbling. Um, and then follow that up with personal suffering. And you'd, you'd really, um, you know, physical, you'd, you'd really be thinking this is, this is unique. This is really special. This is not just, uh, you know, tough times. This, this is punishment. This is punishment. Uh, there's no way around that. So uh, your, term is, your turn has come, Job, uh, you know, uh, and sometimes, you know, how, how the mighty have fallen, you know, this, this uh, you know, there must be something about you. you. You have been caught in the same kind of problem you've helped others with. Uh, you cared for your children and so forth. You've helped uh, others, as this is well known. So now follow your own advice and you will be relieved. It starts with a nice soft, uh, soft critique. Um, and again, as they go on, uh, I only can briefly mention, but they, they get more, you know, more circular. They, they spiral around as they keep repeating the same themes, but with, you know, more pointed, more pointed uh, attacks. <laughs> Here's another uh, depiction of our poor Job. Um, and, uh, you know, the fingers, it's, it's at you, it's at you, it's at you. Uh, you can read uh, the inflammatory languages. They really uh, get under the skin as if the boils weren't enough. Uh, they, they, go, they dig deeper. Eliphaz goes on to tell Job that if he will fear God and admit his sin, things will be all right. Have you ever been told that? Have you ever been tempted to tell someone that? Uh, you know, the problem is with you. If you will just admit your sin, things will get better. You know, brother, sister, you know, that's really what's wrong is, is it's you. Um, you know, there is a known sin in your life. Uh, you haven't, you know, I, I want to just comment on and some of us we can be kind of uh, judgmental about uh, our Christian brothers and friends um, who, uh, you know, might not be as committed as we are yet. And uh, I just, you know, want to add a caution that, you know, we may not understand their mind. Um, and I, you know, you will hear, oh my, you will hear the, the horriblest things accused of people uh, because they haven't fully embraced the truth. Uh, they're only part way. Um, I could give some, some more trivial examples, uh, but since I am uh, free from them, I can give them, right? You know, when, when we're free from it, we can give it. But, uh, you know, well, you know, the, the problem with you or the reason you got that was, uh, got that cancer or whatever, this or that or whatever, is uh, it's because you, you weren't really a, a good vegan. You know, that's the problem with you. <laughs> you know, have you, I mean, yeah, whatever it is, however trivial it may be, um, there's always something. Uh, that uh, we could point at, that we know about, uh, you know, well, you know, your, your choice in music or this or that, that's the cause. You know, we want to we find cause and effect. Uh, that's what science wants to do, is it not? By the way, that's why I referenced that earlier little uh, sidetrack uh, quest, is that we want to find cause and effect. That is what the human mind, that is what common sense is all about, is tracing cause and effect relationships. We want cause and effect. Um, so, uh, Eliphaz says, if you'll just admit your sins, surely sin and suffering, uh, cause and effect, uh, things will be all right. Uh, he breaks it down. Um, he says he, he learned of this. In fact, how many of you, you know, th this is why this is so perfect. <laughs> this is why this is so perfect. Um, how many of you have had that uh, Christian friend, that Christian friend, I, I love this, uh, you know, it's very intentional, that Christian friend come to you 
I was told, <laughs> you know, <laughs> God revealed it to me. I, I know why you have this problem. <laughs> you know, and how, how often are we tempted to be that friend? I hope we're not. I hope we're not. Uh, unless God really has revealed it to you. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, the ministry of Ellen White, obviously, uh, that can happen. Uh, God can use us as agents to uh, share things with uh, people that might not be comfortable. Uh, but uh, be careful, because it's very easy to think you know what is right. Uh, and uh, why Eliphaz chooses this method, you can read it in Job 4, why he chooses this method, kind of mystical, spooky, weird stuff. Why he chooses that method, I'm not sure. But uh, it definitely was intended to get right under Job's, uh, you know, right at him. You know, look, Job, I really do know what your problem is. Don't think I don't. I really know. Uh, you know, the, the, those who have perception and wisdom can see this. And then he, you know, follows up with a more logical argument uh, in Job 5, uh, suggesting that uh, there is no use playing games with God because God knows too much. God has all knowledge and power. And by the way, this... Um, comment by uh, Eliphaz, is that true? Would you say that that is true? Does God have all knowledge and power? Yes, it is true. And that is very often uh, what will accompany uh, theology that isn't quite right, is a lot of truth. <laughs> a lot of truth will accompany theology that isn't quite right. Uh, it's, you know, Satan loves to weave in true statements with that which is not true. God does have all knowledge and power. And by the way, when we get to the very end, uh, it's kind of interesting to note what is God's real response? What, how does he really respond? You know, anyway, we'll get there. Um, basic question. I just, you know, can we find biblical support for uh, Eliphaz's and the, the other friends' comments? Do you think you can find a verse? <laughs> Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Is that biblical? Is that a, a biblical? <laughs> I think so. I think that is biblical. And uh, definitely uh, we can have that in our lives. Um, as I said, uh, be not deceived. If I go out and uh, do the drugs, um, I will reap. I will reap a result, and it will probably be fairly rapid uh, and will cause a lot of changes in my life uh, very, very quickly that uh, uh, would be uh, cause and effect. Um, and there's many other types of things that uh, we could do that would definitely fall into this category. So does suffering fall into this category? That's the big question. This is sort of true. That's my question. Here's another depiction of uh, Eliphaz Bildad and Zophar in there. Let's see where, okay, yeah. I guess that's his wife again. Job's reply, his initial response. Oh, that my vexation were weighed and that all my calamity laid in the balances, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. So Job does admit something, doesn't he? You know, he, he was a little bit hasty to uh, fall upon uh, strong language definitely emotion-packed language. Job does not you know, hide behind 
the niceties anymore. You know, well, praise be to God, you know, I came forth from the womb naked, naked I shall return. You know, all this kind of soft, uh, soft, easy poetry. You know, uh, he, he gets into, you know, I wish I was dead. I, I wish I could die now. You know, he, he really, uh, you know, cursed be the day I was born. Um, uh, you know, and if, if you have ever... Uh, cogitated any one of those questions, uh, then maybe you can begin to uh, empathize uh, with uh, Job. Uh, you know, I wish, I wish my suffering were weighed. I wish it were, could, could be weighed. Um, you know he's been strong, but um, summarizing his thoughts, if you were where I am, you'd understand. My sorrow is so terrible, it gives me a good reason to complain. I have a right to complain. I have a right to complain. And, and you know, I actually don't disagree with Job. I don't disagree uh, because... Um, uh, the reasoning powers that allow him to think that he has a right to complain came from the one who reasons uh, from God. Uh, turning quickly um, to uh, Bildad after Job uh, defends himself, and you really do need to read it all, and apologies for um, not giving the full depth of this, but there is a lot of text, uh, 30 chapters. Um, How long will you say such things? You, those of you who defend yourselves. Your words are a blustering wind. Imagine being told that by uh, a friend after you've tried to say, look, you know, I don't know what's going on, but um, you know, I really feel that uh, you know, I'm, I've, I have done the right things. I don't know why uh, the world has come crashing down around me, uh, but uh, you know, how would you like to hear that your words are a blustering wind? I you know, love reading Job, uh, such poetic, strong language. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sin against him, think about this. In fact, a couple of the friends, Eliphaz does it as well, although again, a little bit more delicately, but uh, Bildad goes right at it. They even pick at him right there. Remember, I was talking about the collateral damage issues and, and always wondering whether or not we're Job or whether or not I'm just one of the children. What if I just die someday? Uh, do I know that it was really all about me or am I you know, part of a, a bigger picture? Not that God does not care about me too individually. He does, I believe that, and he cares about each one of us individually, but we are in a, a web. We are in a chain of, of connected, uh, you know, a living web of existence, and how do I know um, that, uh, you know, I'm not tangled up in someone's web? Uh, how do I know that I'm not tangled up uh, in uh, someone else's situation, someone else's problem? Uh, we can't fully know how these things uh, intertwine and interrelate, uh, but the, his friends don't hesitate to uh, go right after Job and say, look, you know, those children that you were worried about, right? You, you acknowledge that you were worried about them. You know, they probably knew what Job, the good father, did as priest of his family, um, offering, uh, you know, his, his prayers, his uh, burnt offerings uh, of, of uh, uh, petition to God that uh, God would work uh, with his children and, and that they could be uh, in a right relationship with him. They go right after him. They go right after the good part of Job, saying, you know, your children, they died because of their sins. You know, it wasn't enough. That's almost like uh, in, in, um, attacking Job's uh, intercessory prayers themselves. He goes right at him. You know, what you thought you were doing, even when you were trying to help people, was not even good. You know, they died because of their sins. You, you had nothing, you know, you could not stop that, the penalty of their sin. Um, but if you will look to God and plead with the Almighty, because obviously God has now preserved you uh, to, you know, make you, you know, provide this opportunity for repentance, you know, because you were good, God clearly, clearly is setting you up for an opportunity for repentance, Job. If you will look to God and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself in your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. Imagine 
how difficult that would be for Job to hear. Uh, imagine trying to have done the right thing in life and have uh, even those right things, even if those that are connected with you, uh, be uh, utilized as darts and weapons against you. Very, very difficult. But Job maintains, and this is actually from chapter 6, but uh, it remains uh, for there. Teach me, and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have erred. How forceful are honest words, but what does reproof from you reprove? What are you, you know, if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. Um, and in the context of the great controversy, I do just want to uh, footnote it since I didn't integrate it in as much as I could. There are other sessions that are dealing with this theme as well, the great controversy theme. But, uh, you know, what is it, as we're thinking ahead, uh, what is it that uh, Christian Adventists, at those living at the end of time, might be suffering from? Uh, you know, this, this, uh, these accusations that, um, you know, we don't have it all right. Uh, you know, think, think on that. I'll return to that. So, Job, you know, who me? You know, is it really about me? Uh, you know, you can wag your fingers all day long, but what does your reproof reprove uh, if I am righteous? Uh, is there not uh, a danger in your uh, presumption? Is there not a risk that uh, you are the one uh, that is wrong? And, you know, he's, he's fairly, you know, I mean, you know, he goes after his friends because they went after him, uh, if you're reading it through, but, but uh, he... he he lets them know where he stands. I think I need to actually move along here. Zophar's argument, I'm just going to cite a couple. I was going to read some other extra passages, but I will have to summarize uh, his strong uh, language. Utter darkness, getting up to chapter 20. This is actually after a couple of key statements from Job, by the way. Uh, so you can see that his friends do not relent. Um, I'll come to Job's comments in a moment. Utter darkness is hit up for the wicked. Uh, it is their treasure. Uh, the heavens will reveal his iniquity and the earth will rise up against him. This is the wicked man's portion from God, the heritage decreed for him by God. Tough stuff. This is tough language. The three friends theology, and you will encounter this amongst all, you know, it is human nature, is that Uh, actually, one of the other great benefits of the book of Job is uh, to tell us that uh, not only about its great central theme, uh, but to give us insight into how um, uh, humans will share these things. Uh, you know, and I liked uh, some commentators that labeled these as the earliest Pharisees, you know, the, the earliest legalists. Um, of course, the Pharisee, Pharisees did not uh, come to be until much later in, in Jewish history, uh, and by the way, I, I want to pause there, I, I might as well, um, and note that um, uh, Job was not part of the covenant line, was he? You know, we always think of the history of salvation as through the covenants, um, and, uh, you know, from Adam to Abraham uh, to, you know, Isaac, and, and onward throughout Israel's history through David and Solomon. Um, and, uh, you know, there is this salvation history that is tied you know, into the family line of Jesus and, and you know, who was involved and connected with that. Um, but it's, it's actually kind of meaningful, if you think about it, that um, 
the book of Job was obviously written to someone who did know God. He did have an understanding of God, but he is outside the covenant. So the earliest uh, book of the Bible, perhaps, Genesis, Job, I don't know which one Moses wrote first, but, um, but that uh, one of the earliest books of the Bible is focused on those who are outside the covenant line. God really does care about those outside the covenant line. It is not just about Abraham. It is not just about uh, those in the covenant line. Um, and this should be a lesson for all of us uh, to remember that uh, you know, God cares about those who um, may not have the full picture of God, as Job did not, um, you know, did not understand fully what was going on. But um, it is very neat to note that uh, God inspired Moses to write the very beginning, the first question, because these are the deep questions. The covenant history, the salvation history as displayed through the covenants uh, and, and the various phases and the, their, their unveilings uh, uh, are very important, but um, Job um, uh, was written for those outside the covenant line, and that is a, a great comfort for those of us um, who are working with those who, who may not have had the, the history of religion that we do uh, you know, it, it's some neat stories of, of those, uh, even uh, so in those doing um, um, Islamic outreach, uh, understanding them and their history. They have their own idea of covenants and, and relationships, and uh, it was neat. Um, uh, you know, I've had s witnessed a couple of neat situations where uh, Muslims were impacted by, uh, you know, the testimony of, of Avinus. Uh, re revealing the bigger picture, that God's design was, was never really the exclu exclusivism of the Jews, that Seventh-day Adventists do not understand God's blessings to be limited in that way, and that uh, it was originally, as Isaiah and other places notes, you know, God wanted all peoples, uh, from Abraham through Isaiah, he wanted all peoples to be blessed and to be drawn into a relationship with him. So there's no, no exclusivism here. Um, and uh, Job's lesson on the deepest picture, you know, again, the issue of theodicy is revealed to one outside the covenant. That is a powerful uh, lesson. But Phariseeism is always, always leans towards what I uh, would call an orthodoxy uh, or a common sense standard thinking uh, religion without true godliness. Um, it is an appearance of being correct in theology uh, and even righteous in outward appearance or outward behavior, I should say, but it actually represents a distortion of the truth. Uh, this cause and effect theology uh, is a distortion of the truth even though it is often true. That's, that's the, the, the dangerous part about it. It often really is uh, true. And um, actually, summary, apologies for the uh, noting here, or the uh, whatever, but um, uh, yeah, summary of part two. Uh, in different ways, the three friends all insist that Job is somehow deserving of his suffering. This is just a summary. It's only common sense. Job's suffering is undoubtedly intense and unusual, making him especially prone to their attacks. It was you know, very special. They also invoke God's power and knowledge, and yet nevertheless Job resists this strongly, which raises the stakes as his friends rotate through their attacks. The, the stakes kind of get higher and higher and higher. And uh, it is important to note that there is a logic to the three friends' arguments. Uh, sometimes what they say is true. They do say a lot of true things. Uh, the friends all focus upon the externals of religion and life, not what is inside the heart. Uh, this is very important. And uh, this focus upon externals distorts the purpose of God's justice. And by the way, the externals are often uh, like the ways in which we're suffering. Uh, as I said, that, that uh, blurry line between the mental and the physical, the brain and the mind, uh, the ways in which we are suffering can often be distorted. We can often confuse what is an external thing, or our friends might confuse with us or others, what is an external thing and what is an internal one. 
um, because uh, the, the mind and the brain blurs that external internal boundary. And that is always going to be a problem for us as we try and, and wrestle upon solutions to these, these questions. Is, is this really an issue of, of, of the externals or is it something internal? In what way am I suffering? Um, uh, you know, so always issues there. Uh, so it will always distort it though. Whenever we try and draw too neat of uh, lines and, and think we can figure it all out so, so logically, uh, we will uh, fall short of any real solutions. It is an irony that we often look at Job's survival of the material and physical trials uh, as the focus of the suffering in the book of Job. That's again, too many times we uh, read you know, just the beginnings which I've skipped um, and we think that that's the trial of Job. The trial of Job is first the physical, I'm sorry, first the material, uh, having his life taken away from him, uh, the, 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 the jobs, the, you know, and so forth, uh, the, the well-being, the house. And then the second phase of the suffering is the physical, and that's really what the test was really all about. And I think that uh, the long focus on the dialogues uh, between his friends as they spiral deeper and deeper and deeper into their criticisms of... Um, of uh, Job uh, reveals that the real trial, the long one, is, is actually the mental one. Uh, the real trial is the trial of his faith. And that is what God is really interested in, in demonstrating. And it's kind of interesting that the real lesson that God is, is looking at, uh, Satan almost seems unaware of. Uh, you know, as if, as if, again, Satan is drawn away from this. Satan is not part of this test of the faith. The, the real issue, Satan doesn't even seem to fully grasp what's going on. Um, I'm going to very quickly, uh, I think time is expiring, is it not? It is. I think so. Um, I wish I could share more. I may actually, um, uh, in fact, should I pause here? And, and uh, I was uncertain on the exact sequence of what I was going to do my next talk, so I may actually return to this. Apologies for not uh, getting as far as I wanted to here, because I wanted to begin this too. But um, I guess we will go ahead and pause here and uh, return to... Wisdom's Recluse or uh, Revealing the Veil. And uh, I will only end by explaining the, the title again a little bit more. Um, and that is, is that, uh, um, is God wisdom's recluse? Uh, and what does it mean to reveal the veil? Not reveal solutions, not reveal the externals, but reveal the veil. Reveal the veil. What is the veil? that God is, is using uh, to demonstrate uh, his grander purposes in the life of Job uh, and uh, in the lives of others. So I will go ahead and pause there and let you reflect on uh, God's hiddenness at times and uh, what it is that he really is hiding himself with. What, that's the question, what does God hide himself behind? What is God's clothing, so as to speak? Think about that one and I will close here. Um, I guess is, is it, I'm following my watch, I think it is time. Is that correct? I'm sorry, who is, it is. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and have a closing prayer very quickly and then uh, uh, hopefully we'll have a good lunch. Dear Father in heaven, we do know that um, the suffering of the righteous and the suffering of all peoples uh, is one of the great mysteries and questions that we, we all struggle with. Um, I ask that um, as we have looked a little bit at Job and as we uh, go back and reflect on it a little bit more, a little bit more deeply, uh, both now and in the future, because these questions never abandon us, that we can um, have your Holy Spirit uh, work on our minds to um, impress us with uh, a, a consciousness of the, of the, the real issues um, and uh, to let us look beyond uh, the, the externals 
uh, and to see how uh, and, and why um, uh, we can live uh, justly and rightly and to continue to uh, cling to you uh, despite no matter or despite the circumstances, no matter what they may be. I ask that you will be with us uh, the rest of this day. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.